0: Welcome to the Boom Clap Podcast. Today we have on with us Jenny Urich. She is the founder of 1000 Hours Outside. It's a movement to get kids off screens and spending more time outside. Something we know that kids these days need. Adults need that as well. Um, She is a mom to five kids and author of a handful of books, including her new book, Until the Streetlights Come On. That comes out in November. This conversation with Jenny was a joy. She is a joy to talk to, as always. She's a vibrant personality. It's a happy, uplifting episode with... I mean, it's just packed full of information. It's interesting because it seems like it could be a really fluffy subject, but we go deep with her. And I really enjoyed the conversation. I know Cecily did as well. Uh, something we do want to mention that we've kind of meant to, but it slipped our mind for a little bit, is our community. Our community those of you who have been here for a while know that for about a year, maybe a year and a half, we had a formal community going where we met outside the podcast, had discussions, and we really enjoyed that, but found that it it required a lot of time and energy that we were better off investing into the podcast itself. And we dissolved it. In doing so, some of you wanted to continue supporting us monetarily as you were before. And... So it took us a little bit to work around and figure out exactly how that was going to look. But for those of you who are still supporting us at whatever rate you chose, that continues on no problem. Uh, For those of you who may want to start supporting us monetarily, um, we do still have a monthly subscription available. You can go to the boomclapcommunity.com. We have a $7 flat rate. We don't have any other options. That's just the only monthly option we have currently. Um, And then we have a one-time option because we were getting messages saying, can I just write you a check? Could I send a one-time gift to you to support the podcast? And we wanted to offer a way that's a little bit easier for those of you who don't want something coming out of your account monthly or something that you're tied to continuously. So there's an option there. Um, You just click it and you can go by $5 increments to um, support our podcast one time, um, anytime you want. Um, at any level within a $5 increment. So you can do that at the boomclapcommunity.com. You can also, if you want a free way to support our podcast, the best thing you can do is just leave us a review. Go click the five star wherever you listen on Spotify, on Apple, or leave us on Apple a written review. You guys, I get messages every week about the podcast, specific things that you guys have really enjoyed. You just copy and paste that message into a review. It really helps propel us to new listeners and uh, get, get plays from new people that haven't even heard of us before. So anyway, without further ado, let's listen to what Jenny has to say on getting outside with your kids. All right. Hey, Jenny, we're so happy to have you on the podcast today with
1: us. Ah, This is such a treat. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking to the both of you.
0: I like talking (laughs) to you. You're just happy and fun to be around. And I feel like we have a lot of serious conversations on this podcast. And not that this isn't one. It is a serious conversation, Mm -hmm. but it's a happy conversation. Like there's a problem and you've got a solution and you're happy to give it. So I don't know. It's going to be a fun conversation. But before we get into a thousand hours, why you started it, all of those things, Um, And why in the heck you'd want to spend that much time outdoors anyways. Um, (laughs) Cecily had mentioned to me that you've been busy speaking and traveling and all of these things. And we just want to know kind of how that is for you. And do you enjoy it? Is it challenging?
1: That's a good question. I do enjoy it and it is challenging. (laughs) What I really enjoy about it is the people. That's the thing that is the most impactful. So when you travel and speak, you just, you meet a lot of people and you meet a lot of people and get to have pretty quick connections because you're at an event that's the same thing. And so somehow you bond through that and it can be like a quick breakfast you grab with someone or a quick conversation. And somehow those relationships are very sustainable Mm. over time, even though there's just a a quick input. It's not even, well, almost it's like us, right? This Mm -hmm. is a quick input. What Mm -hmm. have we spent, 45 minutes together, an hour? But you know that person, partially Mm. because you're in a spot where you have similar goals. So it's grueling. Traveling around the country to speak is grueling. A lot of the events that I do are multi-day and you're speaking several times and then you're spending your time at a booth. But like anything in life, when you do things that pull you out of your normal routine, there's a lot of growth. So there's a lot of growth both for myself and for our family because they're having the same thing. They're traveling new places. And so we always try and do things in the area too. And our kids have a map when we get home and they scratch it off. So we've gotten to do quite a bit of travel. So we went to this place called The Woodlands in Texas for a conference And in that area, they have a trolley system that you can ride and go to all these different spots. So that was really cool. We were just recently in Asheville, North Carolina. We skipped out on a couple sessions of a conference and went Mm -hmm. and rode some waterfalls and did things like that. And so it gets us purposefully to these other places that maybe we would have never gone um and then we can kind of explore an adventure so it's definitely bonding for our family it's also exhausting so it feels a little bit like riding a wave like it's a lot mm. of output and then like you're really tired yeah <laughs> and then you do it again so it kind of feels like that and your whole family's always going with you right yeah for the most part i mean that's really part of what we do and why we do it is to provide opportunities for our kids and and this is a, a long time ago it was seven or eight years ago where I was really challenged by John Holt, who wrote uh, a lot of books, but my favorite of his is called Learning All the Time, where Mm. he said, and it's a short book, it's a really, really good one. The subtitle is How Young Kids Learn to Read, Write, and Investigate the World, I think, and Count Without Being Taught. So it's a phenomenal book, Learning All the Time. And he talks in there about how kids need to see the processes by which good work is done mm-hmm. and that we've really siphoned kids off from seeing adult work. And that was a big light bulb moment for myself where we started to really include our kids more in business things. I mean, we had a, a, I had a blog, but I wouldn't have even really considered it a business at that time. And that's when I made the shift because I was like, well, if I have my own thing, then my kids can write some emails and they can I mean, it was so simple. They can pick out some Mm -hmm. t-shirt colors. And now Mm -hmm. our girls perform on the stage. Like when I go Mm -hmm. speak, a lot of times I weave in a song that they're working on or they help set up a booth. They're talking to people. They're still helping to pick different things and give their ideas. So it is a part of what we do. It won't always be like that because as our kids are getting older, they have different priorities in their own lives that they're trying to accomplish. But for now, we all go together.
2: I love it. And I love watching it. Like I love that you put Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, Instagram is Instagram, but you do make a point of sharing like what your life is looking like. And I love seeing your kids involved. Mm -hmm. I love it. And I feel like just over the span of time that I've been following you, which has been a probably a couple of years now, just watching your kids grow and mature Mm -hmm. and seeing truly the value of really doing life with you. Because I feel like that's the problem that so many of us run into is that, you know, mom and dad or mom does this and dad does this Mm -hmm. and the kids do this. But to see it all like woven together is Mm -hmm. a really beautiful thing. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, you just model that so well. And so whenever I see your stories come up, I'm like, oh, what are they doing right now? Like, what are they doing today? (laughs) Because you guys, I don't know, I just really love watching you and your kids learn together. It's pretty fantastic.
1: Oh, thanks. It's been an interesting thing because it was a different motivation. I mm-hmm. think that sometimes when we look at our lives and the things that we want to accomplish as parents, as mothers, it feels like it's detracting from our family. Mm-hmm. And that John Holt book really changed my perspective. To If I can include my kids in some way, and it doesn't even have to be all the time, but they've hopped on podcasts, and they've been on news Mm -hmm. interviews, and they've Mm -hmm. done radio programs, and I didn't know. I mean, Mm. at the beginning, literally, they were just helping me write an email and pick t-shirt colors. But as things have grown, I do look at a lot of what we do as an opportunity for them, and it helps It helps to keep going because it's an extra motivation and it's an extra layer of motivation when things are hard to say, well, the purpose is outside of, it includes a lot of things. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, just last week on our episode, I had my son, my oldest son, he's 11, do our ad, our mid-roll ad. And it just made... Like I love our podcast, but it made our podcast for that week even more fun for me. And I've been getting Mm -hmm. messages all week from people like, oh my goodness, that was such a fun surprise (laughs) when we heard your son come on. I'm like, I know it was my favorite thing that I've done on the podcast in a while. Like there's just something special about getting to involve your kids. And he was excited about it too, which was really fun.
1: That's brilliant because it's good for everyone. It's good Mm -hmm. for him. It's good for you. It's good for whoever the client is. It's good for who's listening. What a oh, I'm glad cool you feel. It. Idea, Cecily, <laughs> I love that. Oh, thank no, was you. A you. Great know, idea. It yeah. stemmed
2: from a place of like. <laughs> I got to read this ad again. How can I make it different? Oh, my kid loves this World Watch. He can do it. And oh, we
1: love World Watch. Isn't it great? Uh, you know what I tell you? What I was thinking about this just yesterday because. When you go to start school, it feels abrupt. Like if you're a mm-hmm. homeschool family, and I'm sure mm-hmm. that not all your listeners are homeschool families, but I think for everybody the morning can feel abrupt and that ease into the day can sometimes feel mm-hmm. really overwhelming. And so mm-hmm. we just recently in the in the summer, end of summer, added World Watch News as like mm-hmm. our kickoff. Yeah. And it has helped so much for me like on a mental state with getting going. Yeah, totally. It it is like, I thought, I'm like, I should send them a letter to let them know that this has been so impactful just on our like rhythm and routine. Mm -hmm. And I feel less, like, I think that the day can be kind of overwhelming and looming, especially Mm. if you're getting ready to homeschool your kids and you have all these things that you want to do and it feels looming. And so I could be like the type that's like, I don't even want to start. You know, I'm <laughs> yeah, like, <"So>, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I'm a little nervous about the day or I don't even ah you know, you feel like okay. that. But it's that World Watch news, it just is a perfect transition it into really the is. school day.
2: So there we go. That's that's a say, bonus for Watch. <laughs> that's the ad before the ad. Do we need to even do an <laughs> yeah. ad? They're today, getting their money's worth today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So let's back up just a little bit because you do a thousand hours outside. And I know some of our listeners may not even know what that mm-hmm. is, what that's all about. Some, a lot of them probably do because mm-hmm. I know uh, what you do really will resonate with a lot of our listeners, but I want to know why you started Um, And then an additional part to this, I found you, I think in 2020, and I know you Mm -hmm. started before that, but I'm guessing that the stay safe, stay at home thing really helped you out because kind of like once people are told to stay home and inside, that's the last thing they want to do. So I wonder if you got a big boost (laughs) in 2020 with people catching on to what you're doing.
1: Uh, Okay, so this started this started because I was a crummy mom. That's really where it came from. <laughs> That's relatable. And I was awful. And, you know, I'm not even trying to say that I'm like amazing now. I'm not. But I was like really awful at the beginning. But I was expecting to not be awful. Like I was expecting mm. to kill it. I was mm. like, you know, because I think that when you live your life, you you gravitate naturally toward the things that you're good at. And so by the time you're in your, you know, late teens or twenties, you have, you're involved in things that you have, you know, identified as being good at. So it was like, well, I kind of was good at math and I became a math teacher and I, you know, it was like kind of good with kids and I was doing swimming lessons and and I was getting like, you know, all this great feedback, you know, from the parents <laughs> and the counselors. And, you know, so they were like, oh, you know, you're so good at this. And so it's like, you know, I, I quit working on a Friday and had our first child on a Monday. And then I was like, oh, like I'm failing all the time. Like Mm. constantly, I'm constantly failing with this child. He is crying all the time. I'm trying to do the schedule. Like that's what my friends were doing. They had their kids on some sort of a schedule. It would be like in this two hours and then they would nurse. And I'm like, well, my kid is not doing that schedule. (laughs) And also he's crying and he won't sleep. And so from the get-go, I was like, I'm so bad at this. And you're you're feeling like a failure, but then you're also feeling just like that blood pressure rising. Your kids crying, like you just can't figure it out. And I think that sometimes there's just no answer. Like in the rest of my life, there had been answers. You could figure it out. You could change some things. And this was just like this is indefinite, where we're just doing rough. And we had three kids in under three years. But even just right out the gate, like for the first kid, I struggled with my mental health. I was depressed and I don't, it wasn't like a baby blues thing. It was like, Mm. this is kind of awful. Mm. Mm. (laughs) It's such a long day. And I'm, Mm -hmm. I didn't know. So I was really floundering. And so what I did was I enrolled our kids in all these programs to like pass the time because that was a long day. It's like, you know, if you're, well, if you're a single parent or if your spouse works or you're home with kids, it's like, okay, well, they've got an eight hour workday plus maybe a lunch break plus and my husband had like an hour commute. I was like, that's 10 and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> that was a long time to be with these little kids. And so we enrolled in these things. Well, I just remember the amount of effort that would go in to get them Mm -hmm, to this 45 mm -hmm. minute program, like Mm -hmm. swim class and music and me, you know, you go to swim class and it's like, well, one kid's in for their lesson, but the other kid wants to go in, but you can't let them go in because it's not their time and you've got wet kids and it's a slippery thing and you've got to change everyone. And you have to, you know, and it'd be like, I I had so many distinct memories of getting home from a day where I was like, I mean, I am exhausted. I am exhausted. Toast. And it's like 11 (laughs) a.m. Wait wait a minute. Come on, you know. I got eight hours. I'll be like, hey, can you come home from work early today? (laughs) I'm dying over here. Mm -hmm. So my life changed though in one day. One day. I went from like completely drowning to having a really good mothering experience. It took one day. And what happened was I had a friend at Mops. That's another program that we did. We did mm-hmm. all these programs. At Mops, you're supposed to be able to like, drop your kid off in the childcare, but our kids always cried. So they'd always bring them back to me. So <laughs> I have these crying kids trying to have a conversation. And I had a friend who knew she was going to homeschool and we knew we were going to homeschool, but her kid was one year older than our oldest. So she started to research. I was like, this is great. She's researching. She can tell me all the things. <laughs> I don't have to do it. <laughs> And so she came to Mops one day and she said, Charlotte, she said it just like this. Charlotte Mason says kids should be outside for four to six hours a day whenever the Mm -hmm. weather is tolerable. And Mm -hmm. I have a distinct memory in my mind of being like, that is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard in my life. Who does anything for four to six hours? That's right. I mean, these kids can't even like play Play Play-Doh for more than 20 minutes. Like nothing lasts for four to six hours. And she didn't tell me that Charlotte Mason, well, first of all, had no kids and also was from the 1800s. If she would have like pieced in a little bit of that information, I probably would have been like, well, I'm not going to listen. But I didn't know. So I'm thinking this is like current information. And then she said, well, do you want to try it? I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to try that. Well, that's not going to go well. Um, But I did because, you know, you want to have friends. That's like also a big motivation, especially when you have young kids. It's so hard to find friends. So I was like, okay, well, she invited me to do something. I'm going to try it. And so the plan was to meet at this park from nine in the morning till one in the afternoon. And I was like, this is going to crash and burn. Like, there's no way this is going to go well. The kids are going to be bored because she said not to bring anything like bring your picnic and a blanket. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to need other stuff. Like we're going to need craft supplies and well, I can like carry a water table. Like, you know, <laughs> we're going to need books. Um, but she's like, no, like you just bring your food and your blanket. And so we went to this park, not a playground. So there wasn't like a play structure. It was like, hey, hey grass, <laughs> you know, little creek. And it was a turning point for me in my entire motherhood because it was the first good day I had as a mom. Mm, that's amazing. I not had a good day. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. our oldest was three at the time. And I had had three years of not good days. And then I had a good one. Mm -hmm. And what happened was that we each had a baby. So me and my friend, so we held our babies on the blanket. It was the fall in 2011 in Michigan. Fall is beautiful here, September. And we had our babies. And then we each had two other kids. So there's four kids running around that are younger than kindergarten age, you know, preschool toddlers. And I have no idea what they did. Mm-hmm. But here's what I do know. I know that I got to catch my breath. Mm-hmm. I know that I felt relaxed. I know that I got to have a conversation with a friend. I know that I felt good. Mm-hmm. And the time just passed. And at one o'clock, we packed up to go home and the kids fell asleep on the way home, all three of them is like a miracle. And like all of a <laughs> sudden it's four o'clock. And I was like, I have made it through this day, and I feel good. And so we immediately shifted our life to include these larger spaces of time outside that weren't adult directed, that just allowed for freedom for the kids. And I really just did it for my own mental health at the beginning because I thought, look, if I can be in a better mental state, I'll be a better mother. I'll be more present. But what I noticed almost immediately was that all of a sudden the kids were thriving too. It's like they're eating better. They're sleeping better. They're happier. They're getting along better. They're playing better inside. This outside thing is affecting their inside play. And so my last 12 years really has been this path of learning that when we take our kids outside and we don't have to do anything, we don't have to plan anything, we don't have to make a scavenger hunt, Mm -hmm. when we go and we give them time and space. It helps them to develop in every sense of their well-being. It helps their cognition. And these are lifelong benefits. It's helping their brains work better. So it's helping them academically. It's helping them physically in so many ways, even their bo- down to their body rhythms, so many ways even beyond the just movement part. It's helping their emotions. It's helping their social skills. And all of these things are happening in tandem while we're benefiting as a parent and while we're making memories together as a family.
2: Yeah, that was so cool listening you talk through that. For me in particular because it felt like you crawled inside my brain and you <laughs> described my
0: mom's going to feel that right? way. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, it's like you described what it was like in those early infancy yes. years like when my youngest was born my oldest was also 3 and he stayed 3 mm-hmm. for a long time <laughs> like they were just so <laughs> close together and yeah. and it was a struggle and it was different for me in the sense that I didn't care if I had friends. That's just the level of introvert I am. I could care less if I had friends at that point in my life. Um, but it was hard. Like taking them out in the car anywhere felt like such an ordeal. Yeah. Let alone to like these community programs, which by the time you got home, you realized and this is not for everyone, but for me, I'm like, that wasn't worth the amount of energy mm-hmm. that I just had to expend. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, yeah. but but yes, when you take them outside. And I was glad to hear you say, like, and you don't have to make a scavenger hunt because when I was a young mom, I really felt like those are the kind of things that make you a good mom. And I'm just not Mm. that person. I am not that person. So it was like, yeah, you don't have to do those things because kids know how to play. Mm. They know how to play outside when we give them the freedom to do that. But sometimes people just need to be reminded of that because there are all these external pressures that get put on us or that we take on and put on ourselves. Um, so I loved, loved hearing you talk through that.
1: Yeah. That's just an interesting topic of conversation, Cecily. Like the question is, what makes you a good mom? Mm. And I do think that that is maybe one of the core questions that has gotten, off us, gotten us off track, mm-hmm. that we have been sold this message that what makes you a good mom is that you enroll your kids in all of these enriching activities. Mm. But maybe the answer is what makes you a good mom is that you give your kids a time and space to become who they're meant to be.
2: Amen. Oh my goodness. I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. That's good.
0: I just, I'm interested in the fact that you knew you were going to homeschool. You and your friend knew you were going to homeschool and you were having this experience that was less than satisfactory as a mom. Like, I feel like that's a little bit backwards Hmm. from what most people would do you wouldn't just be like, yeah, I'm going to homeschool. I'm having this horrible experience and I'm going to continue it by keeping my kids at home with me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I feel like most people I, I would be intrigued like, by that. I yeah. can't wait until these kids are out of the house, you know, in school mm. for a few hours a day. So what, what made you in this experience continue on with it? You know what I mean? Okay. Before right. I
1: want to tell before you before that great day outdoors. I'm gonna i to tell you the thing. I want to tell you the thing. Mm-hmm. This is why I knew we were always gonna homeschool. Are you ready for it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Because I was a teacher. Oh <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. So okay. <laughs> Here we go. That Here answers go. It, yeah. <laughs> okay. So here's what I saw. As a teacher, I saw so much wasted time. I saw. I saw. I saw and heard a lot. So I taught in high school. And I taught math and I loved it. Listen, the kids were great. Mm -hmm. I I did love the job. But the thing is, is that I didn't have a classroom Mm. because the school was too crowded and I was new. And so I had a cart that had all of my stuff on it. And I would have to move from class to class during people's planning periods and use other people's Mm -hmm. classrooms. And so I was in the hallways and I was like 22, I'm not super tall. And so I, you know, it's like you kind of blend in. And so no one had a filter. So I overheard everything in the hallway. And I used to think like if parents really knew, (laughs) I I was like, I don't, I don't know if they would send their kids. (laughs) I think they have this utopian view sometimes of what's going on there. So, okay, that's one piece of it. And then Mm -hmm. my last year of working, I was an administrator. So I taught math, and then I was helping to integrate the math from kindergarten to 12th grade. And so what that looked like, and this is back in 2007, 2008, so this is a while ago, what it looked like back then, and it's just become more of this, is that every single classroom had to look the same. Every single classroom across the entire district. And within one district, a lot of times you have, there were different schools. It was like, I mean... (laughs) nobody said this out loud, but it was like this, this is the high school where all the rich kids go to. This Mm. is a high school where everyone who lives in an apartment goes to. I mean, it was, Mm. and then this is the middle one, you know, it's like Goldilocks, right? So it was like all the three different things. And so it was like, you know, kids are coming from different situations, but it all had to be standardized. The test, it was like the test that's going in this second grade classroom has to be the exact same assessment Mm. that's going on. And so I saw, first of all, I saw the loss of autonomy in the classroom. Like a teacher has to have autonomy if they're really going to be able to adjust to the students that are in their classroom. And so they lost the autonomy. And then that was the year in Michigan. And I know it's different around the world and around the country, but up until then, kindergarten was half day. And the year that Mm -hmm. I was in administration, kindergarten switched to full day, It like swept through. I feel like it changed from one year to the next. And what happened was, is I was sitting in these meetings with all these kindergarten teachers who were saying like, well, the, ha- the half day, the extra several hours, it has to go to play. Like these mm-hmm. kids need, we have to bring mm-hmm. back the PlayStations. Like they'd gotten rid of all that. The kids are going to need to have a nap. They need to play outside. Like that's what this extra time should go for. And in the end, it did not. It went okay. toward academics. Mm-hmm. And so I knew really before we even had our first child that I was not going to be putting him on a bus at eight o'clock in the morning and having him come home at four forty-five in the afternoon at age five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There we go. That's where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. good.
2: And it just shows you like, that's, that's what a good mother does too. Right. Uh-huh. Not saying that a good mother homeschools. that's not what I'm saying at all, but a good mother sees that even though she's having a hard time, there's something that will be better for her kids and choosing that still. And then by the grace of God, you found something that made it easier for you yes. as well. Yeah. Yes, yes.
1: And I would word it that way too, because it is by the grace of God. This Mm -hmm. is not something that I came up with. I am like not Mm -hmm. outdoorsy. I'm not athletic. I tell people like I had to hold on to something to put on my underwear. Like, I mean, this is not, (laughs) you know, this is not a thing that I was like, you know, I'm super pro hiking and do this and do that. It wasn't that. I fell into it. Mm -hmm. And it was just by this happenstance of who I sat with at my mom's table and that she was willing to share. I'm still friends with her. She lives in Texas now. We actually just went and saw them. When we went to a conference, we got to go see them. But her kids are, you know, similar ages. She's got the one that's one year ahead, and these other kids, and they still homeschool, and they're thriving. And it's like, well, what if she wouldn't have said that one thing? Like, yeah. what if she would have kept that to herself? So mm-hmm. that's not anything that I can pin my hat on. To, right. I don't even know if that's a, say, a saying. Mm-hmm. I, whatever, I'm going to make it. Up. It is now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't take I can't take credit for that. So yeah. I would, I'm totally right there with you. It's by grace and. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is. Then that allowed me to have actually a couple years too of of seeing that kids thrive when we don't interfere. So I had less pressure to interfere once we hit those you know ages that are typically associated with schoolwork.
2: Today we want to tell you about the magazines and resources from God's World News, which is affiliated with World Watch News. You know how much we love World Watch News, so we're also loving these print magazines that meet kids where they're at, cover relevant topics and school subjects, and help them grow into godly discerning adults. As you flip through pages of fresh news stories, it paints a picture and shows kids who created the world and who is in control. And these materials meet kids at each age and stage. There's three publications available. God's Big World, which is for ages 3 to 6, World Kids, which is for ages 7 to 10, and World Teen, which is for ages 11 to 14. Today I'm going to tell you about God's Big World, which is for that first age group of age 3 to 6. So you can pull apart each magazine into eight weekly lessons or flip through at your own pace. Each lesson includes three stories and an activity designed to build basic skills. Your kids can then safely explore additional stories online. It's built with large, captivating images and a short block of text. The digital content ignites interest without overwhelming young readers. So in addition to these six bi-monthly print magazines and online articles, a God's Big World subscription includes weekly puzzle pages, email newsletters, and teaching guides. So check that out by clicking on the link in the show notes. All right. We'll get back to
0: the being outside portion in just a minute, but I want to stick on the homeschool line for a second on your, in your new book, one of the bullet points until the streetlights come on. That's Janine's new book. She's got coming out, I think in November, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the bullet points you say you cover is the role of play in lifelong learning. And so what does that look like for you guys in your homeschool day? Because I'm guessing that you homeschool a little bit differently or maybe not than some of us do. And maybe you have some ideas that we could um, take home and use ourselves.
1: Homeschooling is interesting, isn't it? Because everyone does it differently. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I do think that that's the point. The point is, is that you can structure your life and your family in a way that works around your kids. And so that was something I wasn't expecting. It's like, when I was talking about you know, every second grade class has to be the same across the whole district, when you become a homeschooler, you realize that like, the tentacles spread out very wide and broad. People are doing all sorts of things. And I think that what your intuition is for your family is a, such a huge benefit because you can make it specifically designed for your kids. So in our day, I just don't take up all the time. That's what it looks like. So first of all, Mm -hmm. we've already covered that I do feel overwhelmed a lot in the mornings getting started. And so yay, World Watch News. So (laughs) this is a new (laughs) thing. But I would say that our schoolwork takes up two to three hours of most days unless there's a better opportunity. (laughs) Mm, (laughs) And if there's a better opportunity, and I shouldn't say better, I guess better is the wrong word if there's a different opportunity that adds variety to life or it Mm, fosters relationship or something like that, then we take that opportunity and maybe we would do that schoolwork in the evening or maybe we would skip it entirely. So it looks like that. And it also looks like I have stopped intervening or interrupting when our kids are engaged in different tasks. So If they're, I I used to like, they'd be out, maybe let's say they're jumping on a trampoline or they're playing some sort of a game together. And I used to interrupt and be like, it's time for math, it's time for whatever. And that's a big change I made too. I don't do that anymore because I think that if they're doing something that's worthwhile to them, then that is a worthwhile activity for their own growth and development. I mean, this is really the key. And it comes from a lot of Dr. Peter Gray's research which he wrote a lot of it in his book called Free to Learn, where he said kids are biologically designed to self-educate. So that means that we shouldn't be stepping in a ton because they come into the world with a burning desire to learn and grow in the ways that they should learn and grow and need to learn and grow based on their personalities and interests and abilities and all of that. And when we step in all all the time, we undermine that. So that's kind of what our day-to-day school looks like. You know, we try to get outside in the morning uh, because that morning light hits the eyes and goes to Mm -hmm. the brain, helps you release serotonin. So like our ideal schedule would be that we get up, we take a walk as a family, 30 minutes, something like that, come back, have breakfast, do World Watch News, do some academics, have the afternoon for open time. So like, I mean, our kids are doing some sewing projects or they're playing the guitar. They're working on drawing. They're doing these different things. And then now our oldest is 15 and we have a couple of teenagers. And so our evenings are pretty tied up with activities. So the afternoon might be our time where we're going to the park. We're going to meet up at the apple orchard, whatever like that. And I don't hold it fast. like It's mm-hmm. a very loose thing. And if a day comes up where they get invited to their grandparents' We're going to do that. And if they get invited to do something else or we're feeling at the end of our ropes that we're going to go to a park or we're going to have people over to our home or something like that, um, we hold it loose. And truth be told, it makes me nervous. Mm. I don't know. But, I have a pretty firm belief that if we have a full today, then tomorrow will take care of itself. Yeah, and when I yeah. say full, I mean like full and satisfying. I don't mean like mm-hmm. full in terms of busy. I mean like this is a good life. like this was a good day because how can we really prepare our kids for the future? like we don't know mm-hmm. who knows It's like you know they say artificial intelligence is going to take over <laughs> x percentage of the jobs you that's what we talked about yeah we know we yeah. had a whole conversation about transhumanism. It's like, okay, the world is really changing. And so like copywriters, that might not be a job. So if we're preparing our kids for these specific things and those things change, where does that leave us? So the way to prepare our kids is to allow them to develop grit and resilience and creativity and to love themselves and to love life and to love others. And then they figure it out day by day.
2: Yeah, that's that's good. You know, what? when you were talking about the fact that you kind of you don't interfere in your kids' learning as much as you used to as like, okay, now it's math or now it's this or now it's that. I really resonate with that because I, you, when we started, of course, when anyone starts homeschooling, maybe not the unicorn people that do it perfectly from the start, but for me, it was like, everything was more structured at the beginning because mm-hmm. I was so worried to get it wrong, right? And yeah. a book that we reference a lot on this podcast is Dumbing Us Down by John Taylor Gatto. And uh, he what talked a title. about- what a title so provocative but such a good book Mm -hmm. Um, he talked in there about the bells that ring in schools you know it's like kids are working finally get into their work and then bell rings move on to the next activity bell rings move on to the next thing and it it just yeah there's not like that natural process of like oh I'm learning something I'm engaged in it I'm going to continue on this because this is where I need to be right now it's like oh no move on and yeah. so that really stuck with me because we do that in different areas of life all the time, right? It's like, oh, well, now it's time for this or that. And yeah, it, it's nice to have that reframed sometime, sometimes. And I also like how you said... Um, I actually did like how you said a better opportunity sometimes comes along because Mm -hmm. I I think that's true. I think they are better opportunities like going to the grandparents or going out to the forest with friends or tomorrow, for example, I already know that we're not going to do school because it's my sister's birthday and we're going to go there in the morning. And then later Mm -hmm. we have like a Peter Pan book club party and it's it's
1: like, those are better things. Those are yeah, better things. Yeah, and that things. is school. I mean, I think it that's is. part of the problem is, well, it's education. It's <laughs> education. It's learning. It's growth. Then mm-hmm. the kid learns like, oh, you know, I mean, maybe they don't remember the specifics, but they remember like, oh, if I do a book club, I'm, I'm going to really love it. Or if I, mm-hmm. you know, if I, well, there's this really cool thing. It's called, um, uh, it's called the, it's called the rich habits test for parents. Mm-hmm. And you used to be able to Google it. And sometimes you can, and sometimes it doesn't pop up. I don't know. It's called The Rich Habits Test for Parents. It was written by Tom Corley. And it comes from his book called Rich Habits, Poor Habits, where he's talking about what are the habits of successful people? Hmm. And are we teaching those to our kids? So he comes up with this list of 40 questions. It's just yes or no. Like, are you doing this? Are you doing that? Are you training your kids in these habits that lead to successful people? Hmm. And so it's a phenomenal list because it's fascinating. None of it has to do with courses that you took. like It's not like, did your child take AP bio or regular bio? Did they take AP English? Did they reach Calculus 2 by the end of high school? Do they have Mm -hmm. a 4.0 GPA? Did they score a a 1200 on the SAT? It's like none of that. It's only 40 things. And one of the 40 things, Cecily, to your point about tomorrow is, Mm -hmm. do you acknowledge the birthdays of friends, family members, Mm -hmm. coworkers, mentors, people that are important to you? Interesting. That's one. And the other ones are very similar to like, they're like, you know, do you require your kids to read biographies of successful people? Which, I mean, that's life changing. It is is life changing to read a biography of Mm -hmm. a successful people. You know, it's like the social skills. It's all of that in this list of 40 things. And so to your point, to take a day where you have Peter Pan Book Club and you go see your sister for her birthday, like that is education. Mm.
2: That's a great point, Jenny. I like that. And it I wrote is. that down, rich habits test for parents. Cause I'm going to mm-hmm. check that out. That sounds really
0: useful. It is. While mm-hmm. you were talking, I just Googled really quick, not Googled. That's a term, but you know, <laughs> use my search engine and <laughs> people will be like, you, you have to be careful what you say because like Google's a broad term, but people will be like, you shouldn't use Google. Like I know that people, but you know, Google's a term. <laughs> anyway, I just searched billionaires who didn't go to college and all these articles pop up about 20 billionaires that didn't go to college. Richard Branson dropped out of school during uh, due to struggles with dyslexia and poor academic performance. Mm-hmm. And it's just wow. not that I want my kids to be billionaires, but you know what I mean? Like it's right. not, people get this idea of the steps you have to follow to be successful. And that's not necessarily true. So
1: anyway. Well, yeah, and it's a misnomer, right? So that, I mean, that could be a really big letdown. If you feel like I followed the prescription and then your kid doesn't end up, in this certain spot, like that's a hard spot to be in. Totally. And so it's an interesting reframe. I Dumbing Us Down was a really um, transformative book for myself as well. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he talks about in there, and I think in his other books, some, is that, and that people do not like this, <laughs> but I like <laughs> to talk about it. He says it only takes a hundred hours. It's well-researched yeah. that it only takes a hundred hours or less to reach functional literacy, Functional literacy is being able to read, write, and do math well enough so that you could learn anything you want to learn. And they're like, isn't this what we really want? Because mm-hmm. we have no idea what the world is going to be like in five years, 10 years when our kids launch. They need to be able to learn mm-hmm. whatever it is that they need to learn. And so people see that and they're like, well, would you going to keep your kid at a second grade level? But like <laughs> that... That forgets the part that kids are biologically designed to self-educate. So it just doesn't take that much time. I think when people are looking at homeschooling and they're feeling overwhelmed at the time aspect of it, I'm like, well, okay, Mm -hmm. do you have 100 hours within the first, you know, within the first five or six years that you can devote to your child and it's at the right age or stage. So actually I'm going to tell you this cool thing. So we have five kids. And the oldest one is 15 and the youngest one is seven. And we have done this book called Teach Your Child to Read in 100 Easy Lessons. We did it for our first four kids. Mm-hmm. And it goes along with John Taylor Gatto. Like he actually says it's not that hard to teach kids to read. Mm-hmm. Like we've made it seem like it's really hard and we have reading yeah. intervention programs. And the, the the problem, one of the problems, it's not the problem because certain kids have dyslexia and they need different levels of support. Mm-hmm. But one of the things is we just do it at the wrong age. I feel Mm -hmm. like it will be like putting every three-year-old on a bicycle and being like, ride to the corner store. (laughs) I mean, some three-year-olds could do Mm -hmm. it. I know kids that could ride their bikes at three, but some nine-year-olds wouldn't be able to do it. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that we would be like putting a four-year-old in bicycle intervention. Like we Mm -hmm. would just say they're not ready. Mm -hmm. And so like, if you hit them at the right age and stage, it doesn't take long. So, okay. I did an experiment. For our youngest daughter, because I was like, she's probably our last kid. And I'm so curious. These Some of these people say you don't actually have to teach reading, that mm. they will pick it up if they live in a home of readers. And mm. they are going to be motivated because they want to learn to read. They want to be able to decode the page and they want to read their own books, but they're going to ask questions. And so I tried it because I figured what, like, if it doesn't work on a, I can always fall back. And this other book that we didn't use until our kids were seven. We waited. We didn't do it at five or four. We waited till they mm-hmm. were seven. And uh, so our youngest is seven and I did not use the book and she mm-hmm. can read. Amazing. She can read. Yeah. We just had a museum. She's reading the sign. She can pick up the mm-hmm. little critters book. Mm-hmm. She can read the books. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. That's well, great. I mean,
2: with, with my three <clears throat> kids. So when my oldest was starting to learn to read, he was in school and it was such a struggle. And I was constantly told, like, oh, you need to read more with him at home. You need to do these little books that we're sending home with you. And it was stressful for me and it was stressful for him. And he couldn't do it. And then mm. we started homeschooling when he started grade two. And within the year, he was reading like a professional. And it wasn't mm. anything I did. And it wasn't anything they necessarily did wrong. It was just he wasn't ready. He just a hundred percent wasn't ready and now he is. And with my middle son, we did everything right and followed the path and he moved on and progressed. And it's just, I don't know, it was fine. It just progressed. And then with my daughter, we did the same things and she wasn't getting it. And then one day she woke up the next morning and she was a professional reader as well. It's just like, she went from can't do it to I can a hundred percent do this. And it's just yeah. really interesting. Mm-hmm. And People like to think it's something they did or whatever, but it's not that. It's just it's just the kids being themselves and being ready when they're ready. And mm-hmm. oh man, if only we know these things earlier, right? As yeah. young parents mm-hmm. and like yeah. took the pressure
1: off. And potty training is the same.
2: Oh, it is. Oh, if yeah. you
1: don't push it, they do this exact same thing. It's like one day they're in diapers and the next day they're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And they just it's make true. that decision and they're ready. And I think we have to give kids the time To the back to the thing about what does a good mother do? I think a good mother allows their child to unfold at the pace that's right for them. And so I have heard that, like, the natural span of ages for learning to read is something like three to 12. Wow, And I had interviewed this woman named Dr. Carla Hannaford, who is a PhD. She has written books that have impacted me at such a deep level. She wrote a book called Smart Moves. The subtitle is Why Learning is Not All in Your Head. She wrote a book called The Dominance Factor about different learning styles and like you have a leading eye, like one of your eye leads. So like if you're a left eye leader, then you actually naturally read backwards from right to left. So knowing all that stuff really helps. Wow. So she's written these incredible books and she said, she's in her 80s and she says she didn't learn to read till she was 10. 10, huh. 10, mm-hmm. that's fourth grade. And yeah. she said it didn't matter. Mm. She said when she was a kid, it didn't matter. Can yeah. you even imagine in today's school system? And oh. she went on to be a PhD. <sighs> Like, so yeah. she's fine. Like, she's completely fine. She lives this really cool life. She lives off grid. I mean, she's just written these phenomenal books. She's brilliant. Mm-hmm. 10 years old. What yeah. if as a society, we were okay with that? And what yeah. should a kid be doing until then? Let's let them play. Mm-hmm. Interact, do crafts. Yeah, and then when it, they learn to read, then, I mean, it doesn't, and then they say that doesn't matter at all. There's no impact. Like, if you learn to read at three, if your child learns three to read at three versus eight, the only thing that's different in the long term, I think, is that you have bragging rights as a parent.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm. And how My sad is that, right? Yeah. yeah. And it makes me really sad that, like, when we think of this woman not reading till she was ten, if if like you're right, if we thought of that happening today, a ten year old child that couldn't read at all, it would be like that kid would be. I, I can't even imagine the interventions that would be taking place, yeah. and the shame that the kid would probably carry because they feel stupid or like they just can't mm-hmm. do it. And their parents would probably be feeling like, Oh, like, I don't know. Like these other parents are bragging that their kids were reading at three, four five and here my kid is 10. And mm-hmm. I just, it really breaks my heart because this is the society. This is the culture that we've created around education and it's so backwards. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So yeah. hearing
2: stories like that, you know, this woman's now a PhD. That's. I think that can be really life-giving for parents and kids that are struggling.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think- and people do carry those things
2: for yes. a lifetime yeah. because oh, yeah. I taught
1: math. So math is one of those things that people carry. And so, you know, I don't talk about it much anymore, but in that time period of life, people ask you what you do for a living. And so I would say I would mm-hmm. teach math. And every single person, there is not one person who didn't respond with either I'm good at it or I'm not good at it. Everybody gives their opinion on themselves on how they were good at math or not good at it. And so those labels, those Uh ways that you feel about yourself, they follow you forever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's exactly what I was going to say. I think the label is almost more detriment than lacking the capability. You know, the the label pushes you further away from reading, right? I can't read. So now I know I can't read. So I'm not going to read. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So anyway... And you said something earlier about um, just following the prescription of, you know, what's laid out for us. And I think that societally, that's huge in everything. Um, And it's almost as if people crave a prescription of what to do because Mm -hmm. it releases them of the responsibility if there's failure. Right. You know, if I fail, it's the system's fault. If I fail, it's the doctor's fault or the school's Mm -hmm. fault or, you know, whatever it is. It's not my fault anymore because I just did what I was told. And Mm -hmm. it's almost like people want that because then they nothing's ever their fault. So anyway, we kind of have to get away from that. And that's on us. But Mm -hmm. um, okay, on the outside portion, I want you to lay out some of these statistics really quick about how much time kids spend, if you have them, I'm sure you've got them in your brain um, (laughs) by now (laughs) because you talk about this so much. But how much time kids spend on screens, how much time they actually are spending outdoors
1: because mm-hmm. okay yeah it's, so it's I know some. I definitely know some I, I know blowing. some and <laughs> I, I'm not positive like you know these are statistics I started writing um about our time outside in this life change in 2013. So it's been a decade. It's been a full yeah. decade so that wait. I've been writing. And well, and it didn't catch on for a very long time. And in fact, okay. yeah, you know, that's I wasn't I necessarily writing for it to catch on. I mean, I thought maybe it would. But I was just writing to share what had changed my life. Like my life changed in a day and mm. my kids were thriving because of that change. And so was I. So I started to write about it. I, we spent two years living that way, not running into other kids ever, ever. Mm on trails nowhere. We're in like Metro Detroit. It's a little populated area. So I started writing and, you know, have this goal, but I came across a statistic that said, and this is back in 2013 when I came across a statistic. It said that kids were outside on average for four to seven minutes a day playing freely every day, four to seven minutes, wow. but on screens for four to seven hours. Hours. Four to seven minutes versus four to seven hours. So we're not anti-screen. We have a television. We have the video game thing. We're not anti-screen. It's like we are so imbalanced. Four mm-hmm. to seven minutes versus four to seven hours. And so you said something, Rita, at the beginning that's an interesting thing. You were like, well, why that much time? Like why 1,000 hours? And it seems like a lot. I think it's just because we've gone so far from it. So that stems some from that Charlotte Mason that we talked about. It stems from Like Angela Hanscom, who's a pediatric occupational therapist, she wrote Balanced and Barefoot, which is a book I think every family should own and read because you go back to it a lot, Balanced and Barefoot. But she has seen these decline in skills of children. She's like on the front line, like the wait list for occupational therapy for kids is like a, a year long. And this has been a change that she has seen. It didn't used to be that way. So she attributes a lot of it just to this lack of free play outside and that nature facilitates a lot of the growth and development and sensory input that kids need. But she says three hours a day minimum Hmm. at all ages of childhood, all ages, including your teens. So we're talking about your babies all the way through teens. She says three hours. And um It's an interesting thing because that seems like a whole lot of time, but she'll, she says she'll ask groups of people that grew up maybe in the nineties, maybe, maybe in the nineties or mid nineties and before, how much time did you spend outside on a daily basis? And so like, if I look back at my childhood, I went to elementary school in the eighties and the nineties, I remember that. In elementary school, we had three recesses mm-hmm. and they were like 45 minutes. Like it was enough mm-hmm. time to really play. So right there, you're getting a couple hours of outside time. We had one in the morning, one at lunch and one in the afternoon. We walked to school. It was one mile. So that took a half hour-ish, right? You get there, you got to go a little early, make sure you're there, you're ready to get in line. So it's a half hour on the front end, a half hour at the back end. And so this is something that was naturally woven into society at some point, and it's changed. So, and then even if, even if then you're like, you didn't have as much homework, like we played in the neighborhood. So you play in the neighborhood in the evening sometimes. And so her point is that this used to be the norm. Mm-hmm. Like, whereas, because people have said that to me a lot, especially at the beginning, people were like, no, I would not, because that was my sentiment too. I was like four to six hours a day outside. What? (laughs) What? I mean, that's what I thought. I was like that No, you know, who does Mm -hmm. that? And that was people's response to me for literally years, three, no, three hours. What? But her point is that like, this is how childhood used to be structured. Yeah, It was built in. No one had to have a 1000 hours outside chart on their fridge because it was the natural course of childhood. And so Rita, to your point, the statistics have changed drastically, four to seven minutes. I don't think it's that kids are actually playing outside for four minutes. I think maybe they're playing outside twice a week for a half hour. Mm. And that's where Mm -hmm. that average is coming in. Um, I mean, it could be that kids, I mean, that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? That a kid would go outside for four minutes and come back. So I think that that it's an average. And so we've really lost that piece of childhood.
0: Do you guys still track your hours a lot at home yourselves? Or oh, is it just yes. such a natural part that you don't have no, to? No, we, uh, no, you we do.
1: absolutely do. No, I mean, I've got my app right here. We've got our chart. I can tell you what my hours are at. No, we absolutely do. But here's why. It is so easy to lose it. And mm. so we're at mm. 777 and 42 minutes. That's <laughs> awesome. I got to push. I'm like, I'm like, there's only three months left and I'm not even at 800. I'm going to have to really push it out. <laughs> but here's the thing in every age and stage, there are always a myriad of reasons why you might not go outside. Mm-hmm. It's too hot. It's too cold. There's too many bugs. I just had a baby. You know, uh, the kids are too hot. We don't have anywhere to go. Now my kids are too busy. They want to go see their friends. I mean, there's all of these things. And so we have a goal because it's hard to accomplish. Mm. It's not easy. It's not naturally woven in. And so I have to keep it forefront. I just was on an 11 day trip with three back to back conferences. And I'm like mm. the whole time thinking, oh, I don't I didn't get any outside time yesterday. Like, what?" yeah, <laughs> so it's just there. And, uh-huh. and it, it's looming in a good way. It's looming in a way that helps me remember to live a full life.
2: Okay. I have a couple questions for you that -hmm. are just very like, I think kind of practical questions. So for my kids in the summer and like nice spring and fall days, they probably actually spend six to 10 hours a day outside just because we live on a farm. Like I've had their vitamin D tested in the like late summer and it was like too high. Like they just spend a lot of time outside on these nice days. But like now here we are late September, it's cold it's wet. Um, it's only going to get colder and wetter. Mm -hmm. And this is the struggle that I have. It's like, we go from spending, you know, six to 10 hours a day outside to like, Oh, now it's hard to spend an hour to two hours outside because we'll freeze. And I think your answer will probably be, you know, dress for it. And that's my challenge to myself because it's easy to dress my kids for it. It's a little harder for me to invest the money to dress myself for the mm. weather, you know what i mean? Like to buy like yeah. really good waterproof like warm boots and i'm a very cold person in general. Like yeah. yesterday i walked around the house in my robe all day and held on to my dog just for extra heat. And it's like yeah. it's fall, it's not winter, you know. Yeah. So i think probably dressing for it is huge. Um and then the, so that's the first part of the question. Second part of my question is when you're tracking your hours, let's say one of my kids in particular He spends almost double the time outside that the rest of my kids do just because that's just who he is. He's an outdoor all the time kind of guy. Mm -hmm. So do you track like the lowest of the family hours or like, you know what I mean? Like if you're Mm -hmm. tracking family hours, what do you do? So that's like a two part question for you.
1: Okay. So the first part is my midwife would say that if you buy clothes that allow you to stay outside longer, that Mm -hmm. that that is um, a healthcare expense. That's what she would call it. And I think that's a really good reframe because when you get outside, especially in the colder months, there's more movement, there's that fresh air. Mm -hmm. Kids start to get sick a lot of times in this period of life because we're losing that sense of rhythm. And what the interesting thing is, Cecily, it's like, okay, so we're going to buy these things for our kids. Well, they're yeah. going to outgrow it, right? Mm-hmm. So like next year, you got to get yeah, a new set. Totally. But if you invest in it for yourself, <laughs> you're done growing. Totally. So it's a it's a single investment. So it's like, you yeah. know, it's that base layer that's not cotton. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing because if you sweat, which everyone sweats even when it's cold outside because you're moving and you want to move because moving is what keeps you warm. When you sweat, it's the wetness that really makes you feel cold. Mm-hmm. And so if you... and if you wear like a wool, some people are allergic to wool, so you could wear a synthetic, but wool absorbs 30% of its weight in water. So wow. it's absorbing that sweat. And then when it absorbs the water, there's a chemical reaction that creates heat. It's Mm. like wearing an electric blanket. It is bizarre. They say like two pounds of wool creates enough heat as an electric blanket. I don't know. It's like so bizarre. It's really interesting, the science behind it. So you have Mm. that base layer. And then if on the top, you can wear something that blocks out wind, rain, that type of thing. But we definitely are similar to you where our outside hours are tipped. They're tipped toward spring, fall, and summer, really summer and fall. Mm -hmm. Spring's kind of awful. (laughs) they're tipped but there's a really good book linda mcgurk wrote there's no such thing as bad weather which is not true right like that's like (laughs) tongue-in-cheek there is bad weather yeah but the point is is that yes you can dress for it but also you can look at the different seasons as, as opportunities to have different sensory inputs and to have different experiences so if you live in the north And you have a place, you live in a place where it snows. Well, my goodness, if your kids are trudging up a hill, pulling a sled, they are working all sorts of muscles that they wouldn't work Mm. at a different time of year. And they're getting (laughs) that proprioceptive input Mm -hmm. as they do that. And they trudge through this deep snow and then they get all the input of going down on their sled. And it's so fun. You can do an outdoor fire. Like that's a really fun thing to do in the winter. Mm -hmm. So, what Linda did was she helped me reframe to look at what does this season offer? that the other seasons don't. And then we try and embrace those things in small spurts. Like I really like to freeze stuff. In the winter we do a lot of that. We freeze these beautiful, we just take like a bunt pan. I got it, you know, at this goodwill store. And mm-hmm. you put a bunch of old flower petals in it or different types of berries and, and you freeze it and then you hang it out and it and it mm-hmm. glistens in the sun. And mm-hmm. it's just beautiful. So um that would be the answer to that question. I think we look at it as an investment in healthcare um, because it is, it yeah. is an investment in it's healthcare for our whole family. And if mom is miserable, you're not going to do it. So there you go. And, and meet up with your groups. Like if you're, if your friends are getting together for a one mile hike in the winter, like that's going to help keep you accountable because everyone's going and everyone's going to go together. Mm-hmm. As far as tracking, we do exact we do exactly what you say. Some people have different little tracking charts for their own kids. And also listen, if tracking your hours outside is cumbersome and makes you feel awful, like don't do it. Mm-hmm. The point is really a knowledge, like that this is so good for us. And it's easy to forget that it's good for us because it seems frivolous. But we do track for the for the person who's outside the least. So mm-hmm. forever, that was always my youngest kid. And actually now it's me mm-hmm. because my kids are outside way more than I am because I mm-hmm. have work and other obligations. Mm-hmm. So I know that if I get my 1,000 hours and I'm at 777 in 42 minutes, right. that they're going to be actually way significantly over that.
2: Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: I don't know. I think this, like you say, it's going to help our kids mentally, physically, all of these things, right? It helps with every portion of their being. And Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I just think a lot about how adults kind of, blame kids in society for things. I don't know why my mind is going here, but this is where my mind's going. (laughs) But I think adults complain about kids a lot. And the truth is kids are what they are because of how adults are raising them. Um, You know, and I think getting kids outside takes effort on the adults part, a lot of effort and just not doing the easy thing, whether it be you know, going outside when it's hard or not putting the screen in front of your kid's face when they're little because it's the easy thing to do. And so I think kids will change when adults change. And so for us as parents, Mm. you know, we really need to take on the major role in pushing the kids outside because Mm -hmm. it's not going to just have a little small impact on us personally. It will impact society when more people start, um, you know, doing what you're, you're telling people to do, get outside and move, so... Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so your book "Until the Street Lights Come On." I don't know. I'm excited. I'm, we haven't Me gotten too. to read it yet because it hasn't came out yet. But um, the subtitle is "How to Return" or "How a Return to Play Brightens Our Present and Prepares Kids for an Uncertain Future." So I think it's pretty easy to understand how it brightens our present. But we talked a little bit about this. How does it prepare them for an uncertain future? I just want to nail that point home because I think it's mm-hmm. pretty important.
1: Well, Dr. Madeline Levine has a book called Ready or Not, where she talks about how we're sort of afraid, like we're afraid of what's coming. And a lot of parents are afraid, like, and I am too, like, am I doing enough? Am I doing the right things? And we have this fear. And she says that that fear has caused us to sort of double down on the old ways, the old ways of like, you know, putting our kids on this conveyor belt and just trying to dump in so much information, cram, cram, cram it in, learn this, learn that. And That just doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work for a rapidly changing society. And so if our kids, like they say, they're gonna have four different jobs in the first, on average, four different jobs in the first 10 years as an adult. So maybe out of college or out of high school, four different jobs in 10 years. It's like, okay, well, you gotta have some darn good social skills to navigate that. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of bosses. That's a lot of coworkers. And Mm -hmm. so when we go outside, Our kids are learning how to come up with something out of nothing. They're learning how to negotiate these different play experiences where because they're intrinsically motivated to not quit like they would play forever they want to play and so they're learning how to compromise with other people and to negotiate and to say okay you want to play that well what if you play this with me later and if they go too mm-hmm. far if they're too bossy um if they're too insensitive then the other part if they're too rough then the other person quits and so in play we are learning those intricate pushes and pulls of relationship. Mm. Now this is a lifelong skill. So that's setting our kids up for a rapidly changing future. The movement itself is helping with the neural wiring in the brain. So as kids, so we talked about Dr. Carla Hannaford. She's the one that didn't learn to read till she was 10. In her book, Smart Moves, she has a, a statistic that says elderly people who dance regularly who dance. This is so Mm -hmm. fun, right? They dance. They have a 76% less chance of developing dementia. Well, that's huge. I mm-hmm. mean, if you could bottle that into a pill and say, hey, I've got uh, this one thing that allows you to have a 76% less chance of developing dementia, would you take it? I'm going to say, I don't know. It depends on who made it, right? I don't yeah. know. If I would. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I would. But what the point is, is that's a huge percentage. And what's it attributed to? It's attributed to complex movement because, and it's a similar, it's not quite, quite as high of a statistic. I think it's 69% if you play a musical instrument. It's all of this complexity that is helping Mm -hmm. with our brain wiring. So I I don't really want a kid that knows every single fact, that knows when every single president lived, that knows, I mean, whatever, like some of these things are good for conversation, but they don't have to know everything. They can look those things up. They need to have quick adaptable brains. They need to have grit. To your point about getting outside in the cold. I mean, you develop some resilience in that when. When Mm -hmm. you're not comfortable, that's when you start to learn that you can push through hard things, that you can be uncomfortable, that when you come back inside, it feels really good. So sometimes Mm -hmm. it's great to have points of time when we're uncomfortable because that makes the comfortable feel even better. And we have that range of things. So there's so much going on outside. I mean, that's like scratching the very surface. There is Mm -hmm. a depth there that I did not realize. And I continue to learn new things to this day of the substantial benefits to our children and their future. I mean, what what do they have if they don't have mental health? That's right. What do they have if they don't have some physical health? You know, and and so we've taken this so far that it's like all we care about is their academics. That's not on that list of forty things for the wealthy, successful people. Yeah. And like you said, you know, it's like I don't care if my kids a billionaire, but we're trying to raise kids that are like mildly successful. I think, mm-hmm. especially if we homeschool, because we want to prove to everyone that it like kind of works, <laughs> <That's> right? <laughs> right? Oh, you know. Yeah. But, but we're, we focus so much just only on one area of mental development at a mm. desk. Mm. And that's it. Yeah. It's like, well, what about all the other pieces of our being? Yeah. A kind of like that transhumanism thing. It's like we're trying to turn these kids just into computers, and that's all. Two-dimensional mm. things. But there's so much more to them. And so when we take our kids outside, it facilitates growth in all of those areas. And when we grow in those areas, that is what sets us up for a future that's unknown.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know what I think about as you're talking about that is the fact that of all the species on earth, like humans are children, the longest, Mm -hmm. you know, and that they have this innate playfulness. And I mean, so do animals, but they're in that stage for a smaller period of time. And kids have that creativity and that playfulness. Mm -hmm. And God obviously saw that as really important when he created humans. He's like, they need these years to play because that's how they learn. Um, and man, have we messed it up at this point, you know, thousands of mm-hmm. years later since humanity started walking around. But it's like, it's, I don't know, I just think that's really interesting to think about. Clearly, yeah. childhood is so important.
1: And the way I mean, that's a, that's a really good point, because if you think about it in terms of baby animals, like, mm-hmm. I mean, who doesn't love watching a kitten? The kittens are like, you know, they roll <laughs> around with each other and they bat at each other. It's mm-hmm. like, can you imagine taking a kitten and like putting them in oh. a hunting in a hunting oh. class? Oh. You know, so, whatever. So sad. I mean, yeah. it's, not, it's not what we do. We let them naturally become yeah. what they're supposed to become and their True. bodies drive them on. So I think that's a really good point, Cecily. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And now now I'm just picturing little kittens in desks and it's hilarious, but it's like, (laughs) it it just kind of proves how messed up it's Uh become. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, Cecily had the great idea of ending this by asking you the question you ask your podcast guests, what you asked us. So Mm -hmm. what is your favorite outdoor memory?
1: So as a kid, um, I have such fond memories of going with my dad on these canoe trips. So mm-hmm. our church, and it only happened a couple of times, but our church put on these father-daughter canoe trips, and they were always in October in Michigan, northern Michigan. So it gets cold. It's cold by October. And so we would go down this river. It's called the Osabol River. And it's just this beautiful river in Michigan. And I'll be with all my friends and you would be wearing your coat, like your winter coat and getting in a canoe and hoping that you don't tip and you would just float down to the river. And to this day, my favorite, like my go-to, if I could do anything, it would be to be on a river, on a tube, in a, you know, we like to do the whitewater rafting, the canoe, the kayak. It's still my favorite thing. And I, And I wonder, like, I don't know if it's, is it because of that? Like probably, right? Mhm. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool.
0: I I don't understand how if you would live in Michigan, you wouldn't be outside all the time because Michigan is so pretty. It especially it like northern Michigan. We've been vacation I don't know, probably four or five times up there and it's just so pretty. There's so much to do outside. It
1: is. So, yeah, it's a beautiful state, that's for sure.
0: Yeah hidden gem. I don't know. I was listening mm-hmm. to some radio program a while back. It. Was, I can't remember what it was. It was a large radio program though. And he was saying something about like, we should, Petoskey, Michigan, it's a hidden gem. And I'm like, don't tell people about it. We love vacationing <laughs> there without a huge crowd. What was it? I can't remember. But anyway, I was like, don't tell people. I, I want to go back and I don't want there to be a lot of people because it's great. So <laughs> anyway, um, Jenny, thank you. But you, you s- just
1: told people too.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean like Good a one, couple Rita. thousand people versus like <laughs> millions, you know. <laughs> anyway, that's funny. Okay, so
2: anything else you want to add, Cecily, before we wrap this up? Nope, I'm okay. just thankful for you. From the moment I got on and saw your face this morning, it's been just mm-hmm. really fun to talk to you. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah, yeah I love being with the two of you. It's the best. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Well, Jenny, thank you for coming on. Just tell people where they can find you and a little bit about your new book if you would like.
1: Sure. So I'm really easy. I'm not creative. Like I'm not a creative person. So everything (laughs) is just 1,000 Hours Outside and there is an app. We have a podcast. There's a website, 1000HoursOutside.com, where we have those tracker sheets that we were talking about. They're free to download and they're really cool looking. They've been designed by the 1,000 Hours Outside global community. We have a contest every year. And so Mm -hmm. people send in these really cool designs or some that kids have made. So there's a lot of options on there. You can print out. Sometimes people print them out and blow them up big. and they put them on their wall. In fact, someone told me they printed one out and they like messed up the sizing. They were like, it was the size of my entire wall. (laughs) 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 But it's just like a fun thing, right? So fun thing to do, there's a kickoff pack in there that has different hiking props and things like that. And we have an online, uh, like a small retail arm where we have like backpacks and kind of like, you don't need a lot to go outside, but we sell the things that we use like water bottles and Mm food type things like coolers and stuff like that. So that's where you can find and it's like 1000 hours outside on Instagram and 1000 hours outside on Facebook. So it's all the same thing, easy to find. The book is called Until the Streetlights Come On and it comes out mid-November. It will be available wherever books are sold. If people can do a couple extra clicks, the publisher offers it for 30% off plus free shipping. So that's like Mm. a decent amount off. It's bakerbooks.com. So you could find it there as well. Like, especially if you're grabbing one, like for a gift, it's heading into holiday times. So you can get it for a little bit cheaper. It's a mm-hmm. beautiful book. It a is. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book. Um, The the guy who um, designed our t-shirts, like on our logo. So if you have one of our t-shirts, he also designed the book cover. His name's Daniel and he is just phenomenal at what he does. So it's a beautiful book cover. It's just a beautiful one to have on your shelves and you can get it where you buy your books, but a little cheaper at biggerbooks.com.
2: I'm glad you brought up the cover because the cover is really nice. Is pretty, Yeah, it's, it's a really, pretty
1: book. Well, is. I just, I think that like beauty, this is what it is. It's like beautiful things. And I mean, they all matter. They yeah. all really matter to our life quality. And I think if our life quality is high, if we're aiming for a higher life quality, then that that's what helps our life be better tomorrow.
2: All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for being with us, Jenny. Thank you for telling people where they can find a thousand hours outside. And if you want to find Rita and I outside of the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at boom clap podcast, or individually I'm on Instagram at cecily.dickey or my website, thegracetogrow.com.
0: And you can find me Rita at RitaRogersCo.com or Rita RitaRogersCo on Instagram. Thanks for listening.